Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Phoning in, I'm pleased to say, is David Kelly of JP Morgan Asset Management, the chief global strategist. David, always great to catch up with you. In around about one hour and a half, we're going to have some dreadful data in the United States of America. It won't surprise many people that it's ugly. It will be ugly. But how should we be thinking about some of these data points as they come in through the next couple of weeks, David? Well, I, I think we should not overreact to them. Uh, what we've, we, They are going to be ugly. I mean, we could get 2 million uh, new unemployment claims. That would be three times the highest number we've ever seen. That could be followed up by another few weeks of, of similar things. So I think the unemployment rate could quickly go above 10%. Um, 10.8% is the highest that we've seen since the Great Depression. We could, we could hit that. So that's all pretty ugly. But look at what's going on in terms of government action here to try and take the sting and the pain out of this. Uh, I think the uh, relief <coughs> bill that the, the Senate uh, just passed uh, early this morning will provide uh, the ability for a lot of workers uh, to, to get past this period and be able to pay their rent and pay their, uh, their, their bills. Um, and I think the idea is to really hold the economy in suspended animation until we get control of this virus. And we will eventually do that. I mean, that's the other thing. It's, it's a long time. You know, a year seems like a long time to wait for a vaccine. But when we get a vaccine, this yeah. thing is done. Um, so it, it's not endless, um, but it is uh, obviously painful in the interim. Well, let's think a little bit more deeply about that particular package. There are some people out there saying that it won't prevent a recession. Well, it's not designed to prevent a recession. It's about limiting the damage and building a bridge through this very, very tough time and over some very troubled waters. So two big objectives for a plan like this, prevent more defaults and obviously limit layoffs. Do you think it can do that? Well, I'm not sure that it's actually going to limit the layoffs. I mean, it, it may for some companies... Uh, because there is uh, obviously a lot of this in which there's small business loans, which you're, which essentially you get, um, you can, you can, uh, the really small business grants, you can use them for payroll. So I think that may actually limit some layoffs and, and that may have some impact on the unemployment rate. Uh, but as you say, I mean, I, you know, I regard this kind of as NyQuil uh, for the social distancing recession. You know, I mean, we don't actually have something that's going to cure the common cold, but we can reduce its symptoms. And this is a way of reducing the symptoms, the painful symptoms uh, of recession. Um, we'll have to see on the layoffs because it, it works two ways. Yes, we've given incentives to small businesses not to file for unemployment ban- or, or to lay off workers, but actually that $600 payment um, uh, per week on uh, unemployment benefits, that actually gives an incentive to workers to actually get laid off. I mean, the average unemployment benefit being paid in January was $385. Now you're saying it's going to be $985 a week. That's basically $1,000 a week, $52,000 a year, there are an awful lot of workers, particularly in these, uh, these industries that are most affected, who weren't making anything like $52,000 a year. So it actually technically makes sense for them to say to the employer, thank you so much for keeping me on the books. But would you mind firing me, please, so I can collect these unemployment benefits for the next four, well, weeks, four months? And then, and then uh, let's talk then. David Kelly brilliantly said, and this goes, you know, Lindsey Graham of the Carolinas was talking about this as well, which is the incentives and the perverse incentives and the constructive incentives that we're setting up. What is your reading on the history of this wall of money and what it does to the incentives of a nation? Well, I think, I mean, at least it's temporary because, you know, you want want to prevent hardship. And if you send out a check to people in in cash, um, uh, you know, uh, at the start, that does help. 
But there is, there is some perverse incentive there, and you do want people who can work, you know, work from home or work remotely or whatever. You know, as you say, you're going to do yoga instruction uh, over the internet. Fine, do it. You shouldn't have an incentive to say, well, I can't do that because I have to go down and claim unemployment benefits. So I think there are some problems in it. I understand the, you know, the creaky system. This is the only way they could actually get the money out fast. And I, I, I get that. But there is, there is that problem. And, I, and also, you know, all this cash, it's not actually going to stimulate economic activity because what are you going to do with the money? I mean, what can people do? All the fun stuff in life has been closed down. So I think we're going to sit on it. But that also means that when the vir- when we have a, a vaccine and people can actually spend well, the money, we're going to have a, a real surge in economic activity. I, I have a huge problem with this, folks. And so much of this is anecdotal and comes from, you know, the experience along the way. I was at AEA, David Kelly, a zillion years ago, and Olivier Blanchard stood up and put up a chart. And he said, look, there's been a huge drop here in nominal GDP and real GDP. Here's the glide path back. And someday out there, we get back to normal. Can we just assume that X number of quarters or years out, everything gets back to normal and the government basically gets to lower the debt that was incurred in the heart of this crisis? Well, we could. So the first part, can the economy get back to normal? Absolutely. You know, once we, you know, they may be slightly different companies. There will be some companies that die, and there are some companies that will be born. Uh, but once we have the all clear here on the disease, this economy will want to get back to full employment, and I think it can do that. Now, whether the government has the discipline to fade, to fade out all these, these things and take the hard choices, which it hasn't taken to this point. I mean, remember, in the last few years before this, we were running a boom economy, and we ran up a deficit to almost 5% of GDP, which is utterly reckless. So if we do that in the best of times, do we really think that we're going to have the discipline in Washington to, uh, yeah. to cut the deficit yeah. afterwards? I'm, I'm pretty skeptical of that. So the economy can get back to normal, but I don't yeah. think that Washington's going to be disciplined. Yeah. John? Tom, you say yeah that many times. I assume you're going to ask a question. You do no, I'm not going to ask a question. I'm just, just enjoying the sunrise yes here in New David York. David Kelly. I'm John, I'm getting used to this working at home. I bet you are. And I'm sure everyone in the studio is getting used to it too. They might not want you home. They might want to keep you there. Hey, David, great to have you with us on the program. David, Kelly there thank you. Of JP David, Morgan thank you. Asset Management. Let's bring in Tom Porcelli, shall we? RBC Capital Markets Chief, US Economist. Tom, we knew the number was going to be bad. There's a lot of economic pain behind that economic statistic. Walk me through how we should be processing a number like that in the weeks to come. I mean, let, let me first start by saying, I, honestly, we thought that there was a risk the number could be even worse than that. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to it's we're in a period where sort of the standard economic data that we all like to look at, economists like to look at, um, you know, that's that's not really going to be very helpful right now. So we're trying to find sort of, you know, let's call it alternative data that, that we can sort of scour to try to get a sense for, you know, how 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 the backdrop is uh, um, evolving on a, on a live basis. Um, and, you know, one thing we found was this this sort of interesting piece of data from something called home base. Um, home base is basically um, uh, a company that, that allows uh, small businesses to, to, to you know, manage schedules and et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> Um, and so when, when, when we were looking at that recently, um, and the great thing about this data is it actually comes in daily. Um, and when we were looking at that data, I mean, th- that data really started to scare the heck out of us. I mean, we, we literally thought that you could see a 5 to 10 million uh, claims number today. Um, so, uh, so 3 million, um, I, I have to right. be honest, I think relative to expectations uh, yeah. is, 
is is actually pretty modest. And in fact, you know, I think that the futures are even responding to it. I mean, the futures are have taken back some of the decline. So, um, it, look, I think the reality is as we go forward on a go on a go forward basis, you know, I think that this is just the beginning of claims remaining incredibly elevated. Um, again, I, I think data like this home base, I, I think, are, are are really indicative of of, right. of some real pain but in the labor backdrop. Tom Purcelli, what is the average income? Of those 3.3 million people, what kind of jobs are those? Do you have a, a some rough statistic of what the average take-home pay is of all this? Well, you know what, we, what I would say. What I would say is this: if you look at you know, sort of where some of the again, if we, if we we're just using this, I mean, I'm giving these guys this free plug. You know, if we keep on using this home base, um, I, I think it's really interesting. If if you look at some of where, where the really big declines came from, some of the really big de- declines came in what what we would define as sort of more of the you know the lower um, income uh, um, areas. So you know, food and drink, um, you know, that saw some very sizable declines. Um, personal care saw some very sizable declines. So, so right now, I think it's very easy to make the case that a lot of the jobs uh, that are being lost are, are in the, the lower income spectrum. Tom, one thing that we've been talking a lot about is the speed of this happening and the speed of the response mm-hmm. or lack thereof in terms yeah. of trying to prevent companies from laying people off to start with. Yeah. And perhaps one way to read this number is the layoffs have already begun to such a degree in mass that there is a question how much is reversible at this point. We are expecting the bill to pass in Congress shortly, but from that perspective, given the fact that we're seeing the layoffs already taking place in a mass way. How concerning is it that this damage is irreversible in the short term? No, I, 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 yeah, and I, I wouldn't take that, that, that tact on this. I, I would say that if, in fact, I would even take the opposite view. I think if you actually, you could see massive amount of layoffs straight away, and then you could start to plane out on, on some level, right? So the question then becomes, how long is social distancing going to remain in place? Um, you know, it, again, the, the degree to which it is in place right now. Um, and, and, and that's where this is a very time-sensitive conversation, which, again, I think is an idea that is being uh, is elusive to a lot of folks. So if this goes until the end of April, right, let's say, uh, you know, extreme social distancing in the United States goes to the end of April, um, you know, then it's really easy, you know, easy. Th- then you can actually come to a, um, a reasonable conclusion on what sort of growth is going to be. Um, you know, and, and so, again, j- this is really illustrative, so, so just bear with me for a second. So right now we're looking for, you know, about, let's just say round numbers, about 10% decline in Q2 growth. And that's assuming that severe social distancing basically starts to come to an end um, toward the end of April, you know, sort of beginning of May. If we slide that out, if we slide out social distancing, extreme social distancing to the, to the end of May instead, then all of a sudden our minus 10 becomes minus 15%, right? So do you, you see this time sent? So there's sort of a sliding scale on this. And that's why I say time sensitivity is, is, is critical because if all of a sudden, you know, uh, you know, Dr. Fauci or, or um, uh, you know, any of these other folks that, that are talking about the numbers, if all of a sudden they say, hey, it looks like the numbers are starting to um, stabilize, um, you know, we're, we're getting toward the peak. Once you get toward the peak, whenever that might be, that's when you, act, you can actually start to have the conversation of, okay, now we can talk about how we're going to reopen things. Um, and so to me, that's, that, that's a critical part, part of this conversation. It's all about time. So if all of a sudden that happens in the next handful of weeks, um, then I, I don't think you ne- this necessarily has to keep on going south. I think you can actually get some stabilization. So Tom, to be clear here then, you can't really have a second half call until we get to the end of April. Would that be fair? 
I mean, well, I, I have to have a second half call. So. I, I, under, I understand, <laughs> so but just in, but, just in terms yeah, of getting a really clear look at the outlook. Yeah, Jonathan, I, I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. It's really difficult to know what the second half is going to be until we all know what, what social distancing and the degree to which we are willing to take that um, is, is going to look like. Um, but right now, again, if, if our view that you know, this is basically an end of April, beginning of May, um, um, issue, uh, then, you know, you can easily have uh, a, a rebound in, in the second half of the year. Can we just talk about where we've got to in the space of a month, Tom? It is absolutely remarkable. We started this month with Fed funds in and around where? 175, and we've come yep. down 150 basis points. We've got QE, helicopter money, and an initial jobless claims print of three, four, five million that some people think we might get in the coming weeks yep. as well, in the space of yep. a couple of weeks, Tom. Yeah, it's been dramatic. And again, I, I think this, others have tried to make this point, um, in, including us, and, and, and I'll try to make it again. I think what we have to keep in mind is that, you know, this is something that, that we're forcing, right? We're forcing this, right? We're, we're, we're making people stay home. I mean, it's, it, it has a critical idea. You know, if this was a stand, you know, standard recessions are, are very different than, than, than what we're living through right, right now. Um, you know, this is something in a lot of ways <clears throat> because of social distancing, you know, we have, we have created this dynamic, obviously for our health. I mean, it's something we obviously need to do. Um, so it, it, again, that's why I say it depends how long that goes on for, because you can unwind it. Um, it's just it's a question of time. The longer it goes, the more damage you're going you're, you're gonna, to um, leave in, in, in its wake. Yeah. Well, Tom, Vinny Del Giuda is uh, making a really good point. Hats off to the state agencies for processing all of these claims yeah. and the idea that, you know, all of these people did file uh, to receive unemployment benefits and they are going to be receiving some income in very short order. Is there any silver lining in that that you can take away? You, uh, you mean meaning what the the fact that they're going to be receiving their unemployment insurance benefits? I mean, I, that, you know, that, that I basically think is is long, that it's not a huge disruption completely to the point where people won't be able to afford food unless you live on the Upper East Side next to Tom. <laughs> I mean, you know, I you know, far be it for me to um, to to you know judge how other people are going to deal with any situation. I, that I'm, I'm not here to do that. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure that this is going to be extremely painful for for some people, and some people will be able to endure it um, just fine. Uh, you know, that that's for other people to comment on. But what I would say is, it's very clear given some of the plans that have been coming out of Washington, D.C., um, that, you know, obviously individuals are focused. I mean, they're going to upsize unemployment insurance claims, uh, the, the amount that you can get. They're also going to extend out the period over which you get unemployment insurance claims. So uh, there, there, there's, a lot, there's a lot being done. Chairman Powell on NBC earlier this morning speaking to Main Street, Tom Porcelli. Tom, we've been critical of the chairman in the past. Your take on his performance and the Federal Reserve's moves over the last couple of weeks. And he's starting I'm, to see some signs of success. Yeah, no, Jonathan, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I, I like what they've done. Um, uh, you know, uh, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm obviously not talking about his Today Show appearance. Um, I, you know, I mean, in just terms of the bigger, uh, um, the programs that they're laying out there, I, I think that they were aggressive. Um, you know, they, they, they didn't wait. Um, they, they had a lot of these teed up already uh, uh, because of the, uh, the financial crisis. Um, and so they, they just started unloading. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, it was funny. In, in a lot of ways, they put out these, some of these programs so quickly. Um, <laughs> I got a phone call from, from one of our uh, front-end traders, and they said, hey, we don't know what the settlement instructions are for one of these programs. Um, because the programs were just coming out with, in mass and so quick um, that some of the data weren't uh, um, uh, easy to find. So I, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I think a lot of what they 
they've put a lot of stimulus in place between monetary and fiscal um, authorities. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, if we're right that this thing can actually, if we can start to see an easing, not a, not a completely going away, but an easing in social distancing um, by the end of April, beginning of May, um, there's so much stimulus in place, <clears throat> I think calling for a, a, pretty, a pretty good rebound in the second half of the year uh, is not a stretch. Well, in the second half, quite clearly, the Fed's objective would be to provide some stimulus for recovery. But in the immediate term, it's to provide some easing of financial conditions and to really target what's happening with market functioning. On market functioning, Tom, some of the problems of the last couple of weeks, have they eased a lot? A little bit. What's your assessment of that? You know, my, my assessment, speaking with uh, uh, some of our traders, is, is that they're they're starting the process of easing. Um, there's there, there's no question about that. That doesn't mean that the problems are gone, um, but you have to start somewhere. Um, and and the somewhere is things things seem to be getting better from a from a liquidity perspective. Um, it's not that they're 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 completely healed, but they're they're starting the process of getting better. Tom Porcelli of RBC. My best to you and the team over at RBC, and to you and yours as well, Tom. Always great to get your thoughts on this program. This is important. Now, I had a lot of really good emails about coughing. And the good news is they brought in a nurse. Surveillance brought in a nurse. Oh, and yeah? she's from an island south of Manila from one of the <laughs> tribes, the, the Mangyan tribe. And it's I'm drinking some tea that's absolutely undrinkable. I mean, Dr. Leslie Vinja Murray wouldn't drink this tea. It's got it's got in it thin stuff from the Central Park Reservoir. And, well, you no know, kidding. That's the reason like why you're coughing. Totally undrinkable. I need something stronger than that this morning. Let's bring in Leslie Vinja Murray, shall we? Chatham House head of U.S. and America's program. Leslie, fantastic to catch up with you. The Senate agreeing Thank on you. a bill. Will this go through the House with ease? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think it, there was a question of whether it would go through without anybody needing to come back. It looks like that's not going to happen, but it sounds like they will vote tomorrow morning. It will go right through, and, um, and President Trump will sign it off. This is an extraordinary package. It comes out at an extraordinary time. Um, there have been a lot of concessions on both sides. There's been a, it's bipartisan. You know, some of the lessons of 2008 that the Democrats have drawn that have, and they've used to push for oversight of that money that's going to be used to, you know, to give loans to small and medium-sized businesses to, to, you know, think about helping the airlines industry. Those have been incorporated into, um, into the package. So I think we're seeing a lot of, you know, a lot of concessions because people recognize that there needs to be a response to an economy that's basically being shut down by this pandemic. Dr. Vinjamura, a lot of eyes are on the United States, in part because it is the uh, becoming quickly becoming the epicenter of the coronavirus and also because it is the world's biggest economy. There is a question about calling it a stimulus, that that is inaccurate. This is an effort to plug a bit of the hole. How much of the hole will this plug if this is it, if this is the stimulus, if you want to call it that, that we get? How much does it sort of stave off the decline? Well, look, we can't answer that question until we have some sense of how effective the response will be to dealing with the real problem, which you've rightly noted, is the health crisis caused by this pandemic. And so if we don't have a push on testing, on ventilators, on coordinating the production and distribution of protective equipment that we need in the hospitals desperately in New York, in California, in other parts of the United States, if that response doesn't do what it needs to do in a timely way, then of course the economic question is going to come right back to us because it's a, it's a result of, of America's drive to actually deal with 
um, the, the pressure on our hospitals and the pressure on our communities and the people that are, you know, staying home, not because they don't have jobs, but because businesses are closed. I want to talk also about the state response, because New York State has come out and slammed the bill, saying that it was completely inadequate, the amount that was uh, attributed to New York. Uh, They're basically saying that this virus is not hitting all regions evenly. What's your sense of that in terms of how much the support was skewed toward different interests, toward different groups? Or is it sort of a very fair look at the virus, its impact, and, and how to stop some of the Look, I think the first thing to note is that it is an extraordinary package. We have never seen anything like that. And the focus on direct cash payments to people who are out of work, the focus on unemployment, the focus on getting business, supporting businesses so that they can keep people, you know, not turning up every day, but they don't have to get rid of their jobs that if they do that, the loans will be, you know, forgiven and there's oversight. This is all extraordinarily important. Of course, there were lots of interests pushing for different things. We saw the size of the package double and, you know, virtually double over the course of, right. you know, several, di- several days. New York State is in a difficult position and the need for the medical equipment is the number one concern. And not only the money for it, but actually getting firms, directing them to put their effort into oh. manufacturing those those products and, and distributing them in a way that is cognizant of the very different needs right now across the country. Well, the trend the trend here, the ramp up of this fiscal support is tangible. John has mentioned that, of course, folks, over the last number of days. Leslie Vinja Murray is with us with Chatham House. Leslie, you're maybe the most qualified person I can imagine working out of London of understanding the social differences of how politicians are approaching this in America versus in Europe. What's the major distinction of the pandemic debate of Bung politicians in America versus what you observe on continental Europe and the United Kingdom? Well, I mean, I think there are two things. You know, Europeans, you know, it's a sweeping generalization, but it does hold true, have, you know, been more committed to national health systems, to uh, responses that are coordinated from the center, um, and in some ways, you could argue, you know, America's coming closer to Europe. It's moving to the left. It's moving closer to Europe on questions of employment, unemployment insurance. But the, the, the big difference still is that we are seeing a federally driven pro response, responsiveness in the, in the U.S. And that's very different from what's happening in Europe. In Europe, it's coming from the center. The states, the 50 states, you know, yeah. across the United States are taking very different policies. They're driving resources. They're making the decisions about um, medical responses so that we don't see a central response in the same right. way in the U.S. yet. But I think that's going to change. It's going to have to change. Yeah. Dr. Vingemarie, thank you so much. Leslie Vingemarie is with uh, Chatham House. Joining us from Maine right now, Karen Mills, her service to the nation to President Obama as the 23rd administrator of the Small Business Administration. And we're thrilled she could join us in the shadow of Bowdoin College uh, this morning. Karen, thank you so much for being uh, with us. It is truly an unprecedented moment because of those 3.3 million claims and the many more to come. So many are linked in and tied to small business. What do we need to do for small business? What is the urgency given the shock of this statistic? 
Well, I would estimate that more than half of those 3.3 million jobs that we saw lost in the last week uh, or two are from small businesses. And the reason is that small businesses have very low cash buffers. And if they have 26 days of cash on hand and you have to shut the doors, then they don't have any choice. There's nothing coming in, and in three weeks, they'll be dead. So they need to let their employees go. And, you know, half of the people who work in this country own or work for a small business. So on a normal day, that's half the jobs. But I bet it's more than half of the 3.3. So, Karen, given what we know from some press reports coming out about the Senate uh, fiscal stimulus plan, what's in that plan for small business? Well, the good news is that there is a lot in that plan for small business. In the fiscal crisis in 2009, uh, we actually lost 1.8 million small business loss, uh, jobs in the first quarter of 2009. And I had to jump up and down in the White House to make sure they were paying attention to small businesses. But not so today. Everybody has figured out that this is a crisis. There's $349 billion, with a B, for loans to small businesses, which will be forgiven if they are used to pay payroll and rent and uh, interest on loans. So I think the bill has it right, which is get money into the hands of small businesses to keep them solvent. The, the eight weeks is the period where you can get loan forgiveness. So they're planning on at least right. eight weeks in this bill. Hey, Karen, the Small Business yeah. Administration is sort of like that final scene in the movie of Raiders of the Lost Ark where they go into, you know, the cavernous building and try to figure out where the ark is and, and all that. There's, there's an implied bureaucracy here. Give us the true story of the bureaucracy of the Small Business Administration in Washington. Well, you know, this is government, so it does not turn on a dime. It's more like an ocean liner. But it does know how to get money out to small businesses. And the trick here is that it actually uses 3,000 of America's banks. So there's two questions. Can the banks get going quickly? And can the SBA and Treasury make it easy enough to push that money out? Usually there's a whole bunch of gating issues. And this bill takes a lot of them away. I think mm -hmm. somebody was smart in that room when they were writing it because they're removing impediments. I'm, I heard Steve uh, Mnuchin say this should be a streamlined process in a week. But frankly, I'm worried. And I'm worried about the banks. They need to do some things on their end to get the money out. And I'm worried that they won't be motivated uh, to do it quickly enough for the small businesses. So, Karen, it's interesting. So, give us your thoughts here. I mean, you know, we you had experience with the two thousand eight, two thousand nine uh, recession. How bad do you think it's going to be for small businesses here over the, you know, the next several months and throughout the year? Well, it's going to be terrible um, because their business just went away, and as we said, like individuals, they have very little reserve. So, if we can keep them solvent for the period of time that they're closed, then we have a chance of bringing them back or most of them back. And uh, one of the good pieces of this legislation is it actually covers sole proprietorships. There's 24 million of the 30 million small businesses are just one person. 
who runs a business, and that's their livelihood. So they are eligible to pay themselves through these loans and have it all forgiven. I think if we can keep people going, then their business can come back when demand comes back. Nothing the Fed can do to stimulate the economy is going to work until these businesses can open their doors. So it depends a lot on whether it's eight weeks or longer. Karen, thank you so much. Karen Mills with us, of course, formerly with the Small Business Administration. Greatly appreciate her uh, ability to be with us uh, today. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.